That was awesome. That was uh, that was right. Perfect. That was, that was a perfect song, Dan. Good job. Uh, that, that's going to uh, to really be what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, kind of our life and 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 where we're at and where God kind of fits into the mix of that. Because that's really what ends up happening, right? We have our life, and then we try to figure out where we can fit God into it. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So, so that should be fun and exciting. Um, a couple of things you should be aware of as we uh, get started. Number one, um, I got a cup of water in the back before we, we started, and there was someone... Probably some wise kid over here. Uh, poked a hole in the bottom of the cup. <laughs> I don't know how the hole got in the bottom of the cup. But uh, I got a deal of water and it was just leaking all over me. So if I have water spots on me, that's where that's from. <laughs> just so you're aware of that to begin with. And also, if you don't know, I'm not much of a talker. You can ask my wife. I'm kind of a quiet guy uh, for the most part. And I just talked for like 40 minutes before this service. And so um, I'm a little winded. So, so you have to bear with me in those two aspects of, of what's going on. So um, with that said, let's just kind of begin going. Uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, it's, it's a good one. You're going to enjoy it. There is um, a soldier and his commanding officer. And they were headed home. And so they went and got on a train ride back to... Their hometown, and I know a lot of us here in the service are like, "What is a train?" And I didn't know you could ride on one, right? <laughs> but you can. There was a point in time where people rode on trains, and so uh, they climb on, and there's only two seats available. And now you, you know I'm lying, right? There's only two seats available in that whole train, but there was two seats available, and there was a young, beautiful woman and her grandmother that were sitting in those seats across from. Uh, the across from the empty seats. And so the soldier and his commanding officer sat down there and they began to engage in a conversation with each other. And, and the young soldier was just smitten with this beautiful lady. All right. They were exchanging conversation and they were kind of eyeballing each other, you know, and it was, uh, uh, it was mutual. The girl kind of had a thing for him and he kind of had a thing for her. And so they were driving along and they entered into a dark tunnel. All right, and whenever they enter the dark tunnel, <laughs> that was a weird dark tunnel, not tunnel, <laughs> dark tunnel. There was two sounds that were heard. All right, there was the smack of a kiss and a smack of the face. All right, and so we were sitting there, and the young lady was sitting there, and she thought to herself, "I'm so glad that the young soldier decided to to kiss me." But I really wish my grandmother wouldn't have smacked him. <laughs> All right. And the grandmother's sitting there and she's thinking, I cannot believe this young man kissed my granddaughter. But I'm glad she smacked him. And the commanding officer was sitting there and he was thinking, I'm, I'm proud of this young man for kissing this young lady. But I really wish that she wouldn't have missed him and slapped me. And as they got out of the tunnel, the young soldier was sitting there and he had just this huge smile on his face. And, and he was just so <laughs> pleased with himself because he was able to kiss a beautiful woman and smack his commanding officer all at the same time. <laughs> all right. That is someone who seizes the opportunity, right? That opportunity presented itself 
And he jumped on it. All right. And so that's kind of what I want us to do this morning. Uh, we have an opportunity in this morning and in this life that is short. Okay. None of us really like to, to think about that, but the time that we spend on this earth, very, very short. You know, you have everything kind of set out and you, you think that you have a lot of time. And then the next moment you're old <laughs> and that's not good. Uh, I don't know what that's like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, I mean, really and truly, we, we start off in the beginning. And, and, you know, what is the major question that you're being asked as a young man? When are you going to get married? Right? That's the question that, that you get asked all the time. Every time you go home, family reunion, family time, Christmas, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? And so you get married and then what? <laughs> when are you going to have a kid? When are you going to have a kid? When you, and then you have a kid and when are you going to have another kid? When are you going to have a, and you go through this process and then your kids grow up and you raise them and they move out of the house. And then the next thing that you know, you're, you're, you're old and you've lived your life. And we've been given such a, a short time to be here on this planet, in this world. And God has called us to something spectacular. But it is only if we take advantage of the time that we have here. Uh, God's word tells us that, that life is like a vapor. You know, it's here one moment, it's gone the next. It's all very, very quick. And fast moving. And so we have to be willing to take the opportunities that we have. But, but oftentimes what ends up happening is, is we um, end up finding ourselves in a rut. Right? We end up finding ourselves kind of going through the motions of doing things. And, and if we took the church and, and someone did this and did the research for me. But if we take the church and we do it, 10% of the church body. These are people that proclaim to be believers in Christ. The church body, 10% live a sold out Surrendered life to Christ. That's a, that's a small percentage. Okay, but if we look at the majority, and then there's about 5 or, or 10% that are, just know that they're lost. All right, and so that leaves us 80% of the church in the middle. And what we have is we have two groups. We have one group over here that are believers, they're saved. But they're uncomfortable with the people that are sold out for Christ. And so they kind of stay here in the middle and they, they just kind of go through the motions of doing things. But they're believers. And then next to them, we have those that think that they're saved because of the group over here. Because their life is no different than their life. They do the exact same things. They go through the exact same motions. And there's no difference between the two lives. That should frighten us a little bit. That a big majority of people that come to church think that they're saved because of our actions and because of the way that we live our life. That should kind of get you a little bit fired up and try to, to get a little bit of the juices going. So, so we have those different groups of people that make up the body of Christ. And so we look at that and we think, yeah, you know, that's kind of normal. You know, that's kind of, that's just what, that's what church is. It's the normal things that we go through. And 
So what ends up happening is we live a life of going through the motions. So, so there's a few questions that I want us to wrestle with this morning as we uh, get into the text and we get into the rest of everything else. And one of them is, what is it that is most important to you? All right, what is it that is most important to you? Really, honestly, what is it that you spend most of your time doing? This week, just think about this week, what did you spend the majority of your time doing? What did you spend the majority of your time talking about? All right, where did you spend most of your time? What were you doing? Was it, um, you know, what, what was it all about? Imagine if most of us are honest, we didn't live a life this week centered on Christ and, and centering our eyes on the person of Christ and living a life in that direction. We may have, and if you have, that's awesome, and I commend you for it. That is, that is amazing. But for the rest of us, we lived this week ultimately for ourselves. If we look at everything that has gone on and the way that we lived and the things that we talk about. Another question I want us to wrestle with is, do you know what your purpose is? What is it that drives you? What is it that motivates you? What is it that gets you going in the morning? What is it that you spend the majority of your time doing? And what is it, you know, what is your purpose? Why do you live your life? Do you live your life for your job? You know, are you trying to get a certain position? Are you trying to, to make a certain amount of money? Are you trying to get a certain type of house? Are you trying to, to, to do a certain type of thing as far as that goes? Maybe you live your life for your kids. Maybe it's trying to get them into uh, a certain school. Maybe it's, you know, trying to get them into a certain recreation. Maybe it's trying to get them involved in some type of sporting activity. Maybe that's what you live your life for. What is it that you live your life for. If we look in Ecclesiastes, some of the things that, that we end up finding, a lot of people live their lives for. They live it for pleasure. They live it for accomplishments. They live it for, uh, you know, trying to, to be, make riches or, um, you know, to be able to be married, whatever it is, all the things and pleasures of this life. Solomon is like the master of it all. You know, he's the king of Israel during one of its high, highest reigning times. He has, you know, like 1,500 concubines and wives and, and everything else that you could imagine. He has tons of money. He has all these things. And he goes back, and if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes to this conclusion. He gets to the end, and he realizes that everything that this world has to offer, the pleasure, the accomplishments, the pursuit of wisdom, learning, power, position, riches, security, all of it leaves him empty, leaves him worthless, and leaves him dissatisfied. So whenever we look at our life and we look at for the things that, that, that we're living for day in and day out, the things that we think are the most important, the thing that we spend the most of our time in discussion about, what is it that you talk to your kids about? What is it that, that you have conversations with them about? You know, what is it that occupies your time? If it's any of those things, Solomon says that that's where it's going to leave you. Now, there are many things that consume our lives. We become so busy Doing them becomes so wrapped up in them between work and our kids and, you know, being a good husband or being a good wife, being a good mom, being a good dad, making it to ball practice, making it to band practice, trying to get them to school, making sure they do their homework. We have a lot of stuff that fills our lives, right? 
There's a lot of things that end up filling our lives that sometimes whenever we get so caught up in doing those things and making sure that we get all of them accomplished, what ends up happening is we take our faith and we kind of sit it to the back and it sits there and we do what we need to do. And if we have time, sometimes, not always, we may go over and find that time to spend with the Lord. Sometimes. Not even all the time. And so, if we look in in Philippians chapter 3, we have an interesting passage of Scripture that that Paul really really kind of wrestles with with this idea. And what's happening in Philippians chapter 3 is... um, Paul is, is writing to this church and, and he's telling them to beware of the dogs. He's telling them to beware of those that are perverting the gospel, who are uh, turning it from being uh, grace-related and being Christ-centered to something that is uh, a following of rules and following of laws and following of, of Hebrew tradition. Okay, so the first six to seven verses, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about... This is what it means to be a good Hebrew because he, he kind of busts out his credentials, uh, which are many. All right. Paul is, is, is a Hebrew of Hebrews. It says that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, that he had all of this stuff going for him in this religious section. But we're able to see exactly what that amounts to as far as Paul is concerned in verse Seven. So let me read some verses here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the, from the dead. So uh, if, we, if we go back and just kind of begin to, to unpack this passage of Scripture, if we start in verse 7, it says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because there is surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For the sake I suffer the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying whatever gain I had, whatever it was that, that I somehow been able to, to gather up for myself, whether it was, you know, doing this or doing that, being circumcised, all those things that Paul went through as being a Jewish person, it amounts to absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, there's a major change that occurs in Paul's life. All right, there's a major difference that, that, that happens in Paul's life because, as we all know, he began as, his name wasn't always Paul, what was it? Saul. He began as Saul. And Saul was the persecutor of the church. And now there's Paul, the leader of the church. <laughs> There is a major change that has happened in Paul's life. He went from someone who despised Christianity and wanted them dead to a place where they are now, he's now a follower of this faith. He's now a follower of Christ and he's now a seeker of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. It's a major change that's occurred in Paul's life. 
All right, that's a major difference that's occurred in Paul's life. And so when we look at this, we have to understand that what he's saying, whenever he says that he counted all his loss, he is counting it all his loss. There is a lot that Paul gave up to be a follower of Christ. He didn't take it lightly. It wasn't some, you know, flippant decision, but he was giving up everything to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so whatever, whenever we look at this, whenever he's talking about giving up everything, I've given up everything. I counted all his loss for the sake of Christ. There's something that we must understand that is a fundamental problem that, that we have as the church today is that what Paul is talking about here is he is not giving up drinking and giving up smoking and giving up this or giving up that. And he's not giving up a list. Paul is not giving up a list of do's and taking up a list of don'ts. He's not giving away a list and then picking up another list. He is not following some kind of moral religion. What Paul is doing is he is giving up everything. He is giving up everything that he is for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of knowing him. He is giving up everything that he is. Every single part of Paul's life is now given away for the sake of knowing him, for the sake of following him. That is what Christ asks of us, that we forsake everything and to follow after him. He gave him his hopes. He gave him his dreams. He gave him everything. But what we want to do is we want to give him this section of our life and we want to hang on to this and say, you be Lord over this, but I'm going to be Lord over this. Christ, you be Lord over this part of my life and give me eternal life. And I will just hang on to this over here on the side. But what Jesus asks of us is that we give him everything. And you're like, well, hold on. No, I don't know about that. Well, let's go back and let's just review some of the gospel. Some of the, some of the stories in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And let's just, I mean, for, for instance... The rich young ruler comes to see Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Go and sell everything that you have. We see a man that comes and he says, what must I do to be a follower of Christ? And he says, come and follow me. And he says, well, hold on. I have to go bury my father. And Jesus tells him to let the dead bury the dead and you come and follow me now. What must I do to be a follower of Christ? He says to pick up your cross and carry it daily. The ultimate source of suffering and pain and shame to these people. The cross was not what it was today. You know, the cross to them was a very real, very dramatic end to their life. And Jesus turned it into something beautiful that we can now reflect on as something, you know, beautiful and that can reflect the grace and the mercy and the salvation that we have in Christ. But to them, him saying to pick up your cross and to carry it for my namesake means that you are going to lose your life. And they did. They did lose their life. 
So whenever we talk about giving up everything for Christ, it means everything. It doesn't mean some part. It doesn't mean on Sunday. It doesn't mean for an hour a week. It means to give up your entire life for Jesus Christ. And we think, man, that's too much. How is that possible? That's what he asks of you. And if you're unwilling to do it, then we need to evaluate our hearts because he is asking us to give up our lives for his sake. And we've turned it into something that we can kind of go through the motions of doing. But that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not it. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins tomorrow morning when you wake up. Are you going to live for Christ then? Tuesday morning, whenever you wake up. Wednesday morning. Thursday morning. Friday morning. Are you going to live your life for Christ? Or is this some kind of like meeting place where we just kind of hang out like a social gathering? The gospel of Christ is life-changing. And there is no way that we can be the same before as we are after. I mean, we're a new creation in Christ. In Romans. The old is gone, the new has come. We're dead in our trespasses of sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sin before you were made alive in Christ. So if you were a believer in Christ, there was a time in your life where you were dead. Now, I'm just guessing, but if you've ever seen anything dead, there's a significant difference between it and like me. Okay, Uh, the first service, I said this, so I'll just do it again, even though it really doesn't make any sense. This microphone is dead. Not really. It's a machine. It's never alive, but it's not going to move. Right. I mean, we're not going to sit here and all of a sudden it get up and run around. If it did, we'd probably call the service and go home. Think about it. But there is a significant difference between something that's dead and something that's alive. And so if we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and then we were made alive in Christ. There has to be a significant difference in our life. We shouldn't look the same. We shouldn't smell the same. That's pretty funny. There should be a significant difference between our life before Christ and our life after Christ. Everything has to belong to Him. There can be nothing that is off limit. There is nothing that's inescapable. Whenever Jesus Christ calls you, He calls all of you. You want all of you to go to heaven, right? None of us wants to go and leave our arm. That's kind of funny too. We want everything. So we have to give him everything. He asks us for everything, our entire life, all that we are. He asks that of us. If we continue reading in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we have here one of the most important things that we can ever learn and ever understand as believers in Christ is that we are not good enough on our own. We are not righteous enough on our own. You're never going to give enough money. You are never going to come to enough services. You are never going to do enough work to be presentable before God. Because he says in Isaiah, all our righteousness appears as filthy rags before him. If it's apart from Christ. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to make ourselves presentable to Christ. But whenever God calls us, it's by him that we're made new. It's by him that we're able to live for Christ. And so whenever we look at Paul's life, he realizes that him, Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the guy that, that, that is like the man cannot live the Christian life. He cannot do it on his own. Now, if we just use some reasoning here, if Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, can't live the Christian life, what about me and you? Right, I haven't wrote anything infallible lately. I don't know about you. But if he is unable to live the Christian life, we are unable to live the Christian life on our own. We are incapable to do it apart from Christ. There's only one way that we can be made righteous. There's only one way that we can be made new. There's only one way that we can have a newness of life. There's only one way that we can walk in faithfulness and truth. There's only one way that we can become children of God. And that's through the grace and mercy of him. Who took our place and took our shame for his glory. That's it. That is the only way that we can ever be righteous before God. And so it cannot be done on our own, but we must live by and live through Jesus Christ. That is it. That is the only way that we're going to be able to live a life completely and totally sold out to Christ. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That we may share in his suffering and become like him in his death. Now, now this is a place that we have to find ourselves in. And, and as a believer in Christ, it's something that we have to wrestle with. Because there is a moment where we have to die to our old way of life. And to be raised again in the new. Verse 6, uh, Romans chapter 6 says that to die to the old way of life is to raise again in the newness of spirit. To die to the flesh is to be made alive in the spirit of God. To die to the old way of life and to be raised again in the new. That is something that has to happen in your life for you to be a follower of Christ. You're going to have to die to the old way of life. That's what baptism's all about. You were able to see that this morning. That is why we do that. Because you're baptized, dying to the old way of life. And come out of the water, raising again in the newness of life. That is the picture that has taken place in your heart if you're a follower of Christ. And he recognizes that. And if we continue reading there, he says that by any means possible, we may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is the ultimate satisfaction that, that we long for as believers in Christ is to return to him. 
to return to Christ. That should be the heartbeat of all believers. But so many of us are are afraid of death. If we were to ask each other if we are afraid of death, you know, a lot of people would say that they do. They fear death. They fear uh, dying. And, and, And the deal is, that is, if we really believe what we say we believe, if we really believe what we're talking about here today, if we really gather in this place and gather as believers and we live a life according to God's word and we really believe that what this says is true and we really believe that God is who he says he is and we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was who he said he was, then whenever we die and whenever our heart stops beating in this earth, we are immediately transported into the presence of Almighty God forever. That should not be a fear. That should be a goal. (laughs) You know, that we are going to one day be in the presence of God for all eternity. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing that the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who who holds the world within his his hand that, that, that is so massive and so great and so mighty that if we were to view him now in this moment, in this body, we would all fall over deader than a cockroach because he is so massive and beautiful that we could not witness him in this body. That we are going to be transported into His presence to be able to sing and to dance and to be able to celebrate for all eternity. And yes, I said dance. I know that's terrifying, right? But you are going to be so moved by the presence of God. Some of you who don't think you can dance will bust out some wicked cool moves. And it is going to be awesome. You are going to be in such a place that it's going to, it's going to be, it's not going to be boring. I know like some of us in our minds, we picture we're not all going to be in white robes. We're in, ha- we're in house slippers, running on clouds. That is what you've been fed. That is not what it's going to be. You're not going to be singing boring songs. There's not going to be a choir director up there. We are going to be in the presence of God for all eternity and we're going to be able to dance and to be able to sing and to be able to rejoice and to be able to bask in his righteousness and glory be able to have relationships with each other be able to have relationships with our friends to be able to enjoy life and even work and some of you are like no no that is too far Kyle you took it too far yeah we're going to work not kind of work that you deal with now. But God created us to work. Men, if you've ever been without a job, if you've ever been in a place where you were unable to work or unable to do something, how does that make you feel? Doesn't feel right, does it? You feel incomplete. You're just like, man, I need to be doing something. God put that there. God put that there. Whenever we are in the presence of God for all eternity, we are going to have jobs that we're going to be doing. We're going to have activities that we're going to be involved in. Man, you've been blessed with gifts and abilities and crafted by God from the foundations of the earth to be able to carry out his purpose and plan. And that's what even becomes more amazing, that whenever we look at our life and we think about the things that we want to engage in and how we want to, 
to do and live our life and the pleasures and, and things that we want to grasp. We're like, man, I need this or I need that and I need this and I need that. Whenever we start talking about God, it's like, well, you know, that's kind of something that, that, that isn't really for me. You know, church isn't really my thing. Uh, that, that, that just seems like a boring time. We're talking about the salvation of the world. We're talking about the creator of all things. We're talking about the, the, the one who created and crafted and molded your soul before the foundation of the earth and put you now in this moment, in this time, here. Do you think that the one who crafted your soul would be unable to satisfy it? Do you think that he does not know what your heart desires and what you really need and what's going to make you most fulfilled and most happy? But we think that we got it figured out. We think that we can do it on our own and God has crafted you and made you and he has such a plan and a purpose for your life that it is going to completely shatter anything that you could ever imagine. It's going to be so much greater than anything else that that you could do. You think that playing basketball is good. I'm talking to some of you here. I mean, you think that that is like the epitome of life. That is never going to satisfy your soul. You're going to get old and you're going to not be able to play basketball. You're going to get older and those things are going to happen. But we think for whatever reason, we're raised in a culture where we think that, you know, our kids being able to play these sports or be involved in these activities, that that is the greatest thing. Right? Because they're going to be rewarded. They're going to be given this. They're going to be given that. They're going to get a scholarship. They're going to do that. They're going to do this. And in reality, whenever we stop and think about it for one second, Scripture never tells us to make sure that they get a scholarship to college. It says to raise them up in a way of righteousness and truth. It says to teach them God's Word. When was the last time you sat around the dinner table and asked your, your child or your student what's going on in their spiritual life? When was the last time that you spent time with your grandchildren or with whoever that you were able to ask them, you know, what is going on with you and your walk with Christ? But we'll ask them how their batting practice went. I'm not hating on sports, man. I played them. I loved them. Let's play them. Let's win. You know, I'm all about that. But at what cost? A generation of people who don't know Christ who don't know how to walk with him, that don't know how to talk with him. That is your calling, mom and dad. That is your calling by the Lord of all creation. That's what he asks of you. And if you're doing it, man, amen. I'm your biggest supporter. If you're doing it, that is awesome. And I'm thrilled. But I know how difficult it is to get up every single morning thinking about things of Christ. It is a struggle. It's a struggle. We have so much noise in our life that it's hard for us to hear Christ. It is. It's difficult for us to have that walk with Christ that we really desire. It's difficult for us to do those things. But here's the deal, guys. Whenever we stop and think about it for a moment and the things that he's called us to do and the things that he asks of us as his children to give up everything that we are, whenever we stop and think about it, we have everything that we need in order for this to be accomplished. We have the word of God in our hands. 
We have the inerrant word of God that was written and crafted complete and perfect in its state. Nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. The inerrant word of God that is given to us to live our life by and to be able to understand the things of God. He has given this to us. For us to be able to live, it says all of scriptures God breathed and, and profitable All of it can be used for a proof and correction. All of it can be used to model our life after. And then we're given the Holy Spirit of God. If you are a child of His, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. Think about that. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You have the Scripture of His words written out before you. You have everything that you need in order to accomplish the things that God's called you to do. And so all that He asks is He's crying out in the soft whisper that we're able to hear on the mountaintops, if we're looking at Elijah, the earthquake came, the thunders came, the, the, the movement came, the fire came. And then a small, still, quiet whisper came and he hid his face. And God is whispering to you today to follow him. Not to show up and go through the motions, but to follow him, to abandon for him. We're in desperate need today of heroes. Heroes of the faith. We're in desperate need of men and women that are willing to stand in the gap and to carry the torch to the next generation and to stand in the gap for everything that that, that God's called for our nation and for everything else that we do. If we stop and we think about it for a minute, man, a lot of us want God to do something amazing, right? We want to see a revival of our nation. We want to see a revival of our town. We want to see God do some of these things. But what we don't want to see is for him to call us to do it. Because scripture is clear that whenever God moves, he asks us to move. He uses his people. Go back. Start in Genesis. He calls and sets apart Abraham to be his people. We see that Noah is the man that he chooses to use in his head. He chooses Moses to stand and deliver the Israelites out of the out of slavery. I mean, he uses these people to do his work. But he's calling us and we can't hear him because of the white noise of our life that's blocking out that small whisper of God telling us what we're to do and how to do it. Man, God has called you to some spectacular things. Man, some of you, God's gifted with such great abilities and he's called you and set you apart for some amazing things and you're missing it. You're missing it because we're so busy doing the things in life that Paul says he counts as loss. So basically we're losing our time. Men and women, we make up the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. God left us here to be the body of Christ. If it wasn't that way, then we would have been taken to heaven as soon as we got saved. But we've been left here with a purpose and a plan. And you've been given gifts and abilities to make up the body of Christ. And this is what he asks of us, is for his body to move. For his body to move. He needs you 
to move and to be moved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God was so moved that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. And He asked us to be so moved that we're willing to go and to reach and to go into the dark places and to go across this world of ours and to go outside these doors and to make disciples of all nations and to be able to do those things that he's called us to do for our king, for his glory, for his majesty. Who is going to rescue them if we are unwilling to? If we're not going to do the things that God called us to do, then it's not going to get done. For all doing nothing, nothing's going to get done. It's just like, you know, you drive down the road and you see the construction workers, you know, and they're not doing anything. I'm just kidding. If you're a construction worker, I'm just playing. All right. But, you know, we, we, if nothing's being done, nothing's going to happen. And God is, is looking to us. And he's asking us who is going to be different. Who is going to step up? Who is going to stand in the gap? Who is going to be called out? Who is going to be mine? Who is tired of playing games? Who's tired of going through the motions? Who wants a faith that is real and massive and, and, and amazing? It's something that is beyond anything that we can comprehend because God has called us to so much more. If you think that faith is boring, if you think that church is boring, if you think that this kind of stuff is boring, then you don't know Christ and you're not, or, or you might know Christ, but you don't, you're not serving Christ. Let me say that. Because whenever you begin to engage with the world for the cause of Christ, your faith becomes something so much different. And I could bring up people that have been in mission trips and done some of those things and have them testify. And it's a completely different ballgame whenever that happens. And that's what God's calling us to do, to do work for his name and for his glory. And so he's calling us out to, to seek him. And who wants to see, you know, how great God is? Who wants to see how big God is? Who wants to see him do some amazing things? Who is willing to do it? Who is willing to be that person that says, I want to see that? I want... To be able to experience God. I want to see how big God is. I want to taste of the bread of his of life. I want to be able to drink of the deepest fountains. I want to be able to experience Christ in a real, tangible, personal way. I want to see him at work. I want to see him move. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to give up everything. For him. The old is gone and the new has come. And our mission as believers in Christ is clear. It says to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That is your calling. That is your purpose. How you go about doing that is how God has gifted you. Through his people. Many have laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. We look back through history. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I don't know if you've ever read it. If, if not, you might need to check it out. It, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting book that, that documents 
the life and death of, of many followers of Christ. But many people have laid down their life for the cause of Christ. Murdered by the world. And persecuted for their faith. Sharing in the suffering of Christ. And now we're here in this moment. And believe it or not, it's our turn. If we don't do it, who will? Who will carry the torch? Who will stand in the gap? Who is willing to push the gospel forward on their blood and their tears, crying out for everything that God is? If we don't and we're unwilling, it's not going to happen. So that's your call. Man, that's, that's what God's calling us to. No, it's not easy. That's why he tells us to count the costs. I know it's not simple. I know it asks a lot of you. But I promise you, when you have your money back, that God is going to change your life if you give him everything. Give him everything. If you're completely sold out to Christ, your life is going to be different. And you will see God at work around you. He's called us to so much more than just a one hour a week religious thing. He's called us to a life of abandonment to him. And guys, I I want to challenge you especially. I know how difficult it is and I know how tough it is to be the man of your family. But I want you to know that if you follow Christ, if you're sold out to Christ, man, your wife is going to follow that. Your children are going to follow that. And you want to talk about a life abandonment towards Christ. Let me share this story with you. There's a a story by Donald Miller. Uh, he wrote Blue Like Jazz. And he um, he was telling a story about a man that, that came to to get some counseling. And he came in and he told him that, you know, his daughter had been seeing a, a kind of a punk kid, you know, that was just really everything that her father didn't like in her dating, you know, and, and she naturally was dating him uh, pretty much because of that. And Donald uh, was talking to her. And talking to him and, you know, just let him know. He said, listen, the reason that she's there is that he's telling a better story. He's telling a better story. And so he counseled with this man and and he went home and he thought about that. And he went and he told his wife, he said, listen, listen. Honey, um, I know that we don't have any money. I know that, that we're just kind of scrapped for things, but, but I think that we need to be um, to, to build this orphanage in Sudan. It's going to cost $20,000. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how that's going to happen. And so they brought in the whole family and they told them what they were doing. And so they began to raise money. They began to, to do the work necessary to be able to raise that money to, to build that thing. And eventually they raised the money and they built that orphanage for those children. 
And in the process, his daughter broke up with her boyfriend and gave her life to Christ and began seeking after him. And it was because he told a better story. God has called us to a bigger and better story than this. Man, there is so much in Christ. It is not... I know sometimes it gets presented... I don't know how else to say it, but just kind of like in a weak way. I mean, let's just be real. There is a... You know, we see the paintings of Jesus. He looks like a 14-year-old kid with long hair. And he's white. (laughs) And we see all those things. But whenever we look at the Jesus of Scripture, the historical Jesus, and we see the things that he asks of men, and the things that he asks of their families, and the things that he asks of his people, and he is a God of strength, and power and might and he created you exactly how you are not because you know he was confused but because that is who men are <laughs> and he is not surprised by you he is not taken back by you and i want you to know that he has so much that he's willing to do and if men of god got on their knees and got on their faces and began to seek the lord He would do a mighty work. I believe it. I believe it. So it's on you. Man, men of God, are you willing to get on your face and say, this is the life that I'm going to live? Completely sold out in life abandonment. For his glory. For my king. For his kingdom. It's a massive call. It's a heavy call. But it's one that we must answer.